everyone, and welcome back to Wii Universe. This is the show where we are playing every single game on the Wii U catalog. We are almost done with this entire catalog. Uh, technically, Woody and I are done. We've already recorded our next episode, so we have we have wrapped the catalog. But uh, for you, for you folks listening, you have one more game for us to cover, followed by a wrap up episode. Uh, and then, and then that is the end of this grand experiment. And I'm, I'm very sad about it. Very excited for what's next. Uh, and just very grateful to the outpouring of, of support and, uh, uh, kind feelings we've been getting from people. It's just been very, very nice. Yeah. Um, my name is cloaked murderer, Steve Guntley. Cloaked murderer, Steve Guntley. Hello. I am a uh, hardcore punk frontman Woody Siskowski. <laughs> that, that's uh, today, what happens in this game right you go back to 1981 and you inhabit the body of henry rollins oh yeah you absolutely do okay yeah yeah as most of these games are about you inhabiting different punk uh, front men yeah. yeah that's that's kind of the whole thing this is not we today we are talking about the assassin's creed series which uh you know, uh, not to be confused with the Assassin's Colon Creed series, which is all about like inhabiting the members of the band Creed sure. and killing people. Exactly. Um, or, you know, yeah, they have they have a bunch of spinoffs. There's one where you're like Adonis Creed from the movies. There's one <laughs> where you're you're Creed from the office. You know, yeah, there's a lot of different fun ones. Yep. Um, but this is a different one. This is the Ubisoft series in which you uh, you don a cloak and you have a little knife wrist, wrist knife, excuse me, and you uh, jump off of large stuff, you yep. know? Now those, All those healthy are the activities. three main mechanics. You can, see, you can see them at the pitch meeting with their yeah. chalkboard that says knife wrist, jump Got off it. large things, and then there's check marks by them. And I forgot what the third thing you said was. Uh, uh, period realistic board games. Yeah, oh, and, okay. and, and dice games. Yeah, that's oh, it. I, I yeah. didn't get far yeah. enough. Do you get to play Snakes and Ladders or Uncle Wiggly? I forget what they're called, but there are like some very obscure, like old 1700s, like dice games and uh, card games that I could never quite wrap my head around the world. I don't know about you. Whenever like a game tries to make me play like uh, an actual board game that exists within another game, I get really bored. Yeah, like I'm, I'm it's. A, a- it's a very hard sell. I think Gwent in Witcher 3 is like the only one of these little mini games that I've actually ever really gotten into. The thing that's weird about it is I will happily play like a card game or a board game that is its own game. Totally. Like if yeah. something advertises like this, there was a weird card game in Final Fantasy 8, but it's like somehow when you insert it in the middle of another game, I'm just kind of like, just let me play the game that I want to play. I, I'm not totally like I'll boot up. If you know, I'll boot up the game I want if I want to play Gwent or something. But like, don't just insert it here. It's... Yeah, yeah, don't don't foist it on me because it's <laughs> no. like it, it. It's usually just a lot of like rule reading. You know, like I'm somebody in particular. You know this. Like when I'm yep. playing board games, like I I need to actually be playing it in order to understand the rules a little bit. You know, like if you just explain it to me or give me a sheet to read it, I'm not really gonna internalize it. I definitely feel like we've had experiences of me starting to explain a game to you and like five minutes in, I see you just staring like off blankly into the distance and I'm like, I get the thousand yards staring. Yeah. 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 I'm just like, you know what? I will figure it out as I go. I'm a tactile learner. That's just my thing. But, uh, anyway, uh, what, you know, but before we get into these games, what else are you playing right now? Um, well, speaking of, I guess, you know, board games and learning the rules, I've, been going back um i think i guessed it on an episode of a different podcast a while ago and played ftl and i learned mm-hmm. that um there was new content for into the breach and into the breach is i don't know if i've talked about it i, I haven't talked about it enough because it's really a phenomenal game 
It's um, so good. But like, it may be the most beautifully designed game mechanically that exists. Like, um, because you know, we're talking about, and you'll you'll know in the future we're talking about Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring with our guests next week. Mm-hmm. And um, I was thinking about like Elden Ring for how good it is. It has like a lot of mechanics that you're never going to use. Like it's kind of okay. I don't have a problem with them being in there. But like Into the Breach is a game where every mechanic like fits in that game. Like you, you any weapon that you can buy can be useful. Yeah. Like the, the acid um, on the level that doubles damage, like you will need that to like solve, um, you know, solve puzzles and complete victories. It's just like, it works so incredibly clean. It's like, it's like the perfect version of a, a miniatures game. Like it, it's essentially like, I want them to make that with just like superhero branding and skinning and just to like, because there's so much stuff that like, if you played it as a board game would be impossible to keep track of, but it just works so intuitively. Anyway, when is subset games going to come out with a new game? Because, into the breach totally rules. That's all. They have I've been playing into the breach. Out of the park. That yeah. that game is like it's so elegantly designed and it's so perfect. Like that, it really encourages you and gets you into the mindset of like thinking one step ahead of just yeah. kind of because uh, it's always possible to defeat every level in that game without taking any damage. Like that's always an option for you if you're careful with your moves and if you really think out all of your placement. And I just love that. That's it's just a really quick and elegant way to get you thinking like that, uh, which I, I think you can apply to like board games or tabletop strategy games in a really cool way. And I, I'm, so, I'm noticing here somehow uh, you, you can play uh, you can play Into the Breach on your phone if you are a Nets, Netflix subscriber. I don't know how that works I, or how why does that, that works, work? but uh, that's what they're advertising on their website. Okay, all right. Well, so I mean, perfect. I, uh, check check I, in I on our pal. Pal yeah. Pinocchio, and then play some Into the Breach on your phone. Get the oh, most that, out of your money. That Pinocchio is so good. Have you watched that Pinocchio? Uh, not yet. Oh, uh, it's so, so good. Like, it, I feel like we got the two polar opposites of the Pinocchio experience this year with, like, <laughs> the completely soulless, unnecessary, like, unwatchable Disney version, <laughs> and then the Guillermo del Toro version, which is the freshest take I've ever seen on this story. It's like okay. the first time in my entire existence that the Pinocchio story has felt new and novel, and it's so beautiful, so smart. I can't recommend that one highly enough. That movie is okay. fantastic. Well, I will I will make an effort to watch it because I was thinking, like, you know, we got two Pinocchio movies this year, and I didn't really feel like we needed any, but it's good to hear yeah. that uh, that one delivers on that uh, sweet, sweet wooden goodness. Oh yeah, yeah. It yeah, it gives you the good wood, all right. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. That's horrible. I hate that I just said that. <laughs> uh, so as for me, uh, you uh, tipped me off about the Polygon uh, Fifty Games of the Year uh, oh, yeah. last week. So I've been perusing through that. It's a really cool, diverse selection, and I've got like some that are on my wish list that I'm going to get kind of down the line. But one of them that I had to jump on because it it struck me as so unusual. Coming in at number nine on their list, that's ahead of God of War, ahead of Cult (laughs) of the Lamb, ahead of a lot of really impactful stuff, was a game called Power Wash Simulator. (laughs) Uh, That is a game that is pretty much exactly as it says. You uh, are controlling a power washer, which is that that very high-powered, like, water jet that you use to, like, scrape off paint and things like that. And you're just cleaning things. 
and it is goddamn gripping and i can't stop playing it <laughs> it's it's perfect on steam deck it's uh you can play it cooperatively with up to six people so you can all take on these big projects together it's it's an incredibly simple premise but it's very uh smartly designed it gives you a lot of control a lot of different options and like i find myself getting very excited when i buy a new nozzle which is not an experience <laughs> i thought i was gonna have in 2022 it's like hey hey that's a new nozzle very excited about yeah, it Yeah, you thought you had uh exhausted all of your nozzle pleasure in 2014 no right? yeah i, th- I thought so the nozzle that was the year of the nozzle, and uh, yeah, no, I, I I thought the love affair with nozzles was long dead, but no, this has reignited that love. It really it's, is like uh, it, it's such an ASMR kind of experience because it's huh. just it's a very soothing thing of like you're taking something that is wrong and you are making it right. You are taking <laughs> something that is dirty, you are making it clean. It's 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 that kind of mentality. It's got a little bit of a uh, I, I don't know. It, it's it's I find it very soothing. And does, uh, it, does it have a, like a goofy kind of story mode or something or it's just like, all right, clean this truck. The next level is clean this fire hydrant. It's right. a it's there's a career mode and then there's a mode called specials where you're uh, kind of messing with a little bit more wacky stuff like you clean the Mars rover or uh, okay. an entire miniature golf course and stuff like that. But as you play through the career mode, like you finish something and somebody will give you another assignment. You do get like funny little texts from your customers every once in a while. <laughs> like so if you are engaged in that, you can read that. Uh, but it, it's, I don't know, it, it's very gripping. I'm finding myself Strange. having a really okay. uh, great time with it. Of all the games on that list, I don't know why that's the one I gravitated towards, <laughs> but I just thought it was so odd that it made the top 10, and uh, now I get it. I get it. Hey, I understand. Hey, man, like, kudos to you. you, you you've you gotten to your age where you know yourself. You see I know that myself. Power Watch Simulator game, and you're like, that's for me. That's, that's for that's me. That's what I want, and you were right. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with it. And, you know, I... It, it weirdly kind of ties in with the games that we're talking about today because I, I'm coming to realize like how many of my gaming habits kind of stem from my ADHD and okay. my need to kind of have a little bit of structure and a little bit like like to have um, kind of a checklist, kind of a, a list of things to go through to keep myself on task. Okay. Uh, Assassin's Creed scratches a lot of those itches for me. Yeah. Now, I I kind of I knew going into this episode that I I was a bigger Assassin's Creed fan mm-hmm. than you are in that you are not one at all. <laughs> Correct. And uh and I've played almost all of them. Um and I think they scratched that same itch. So I was trying to like a- analyze exactly like what it is that makes me like this series. Why do I keep coming back sure. to this one even though I I can't acknowledge its flaws. And I think more than anything it is that kind of uh, that 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 kind of itch that's being scratched, you know, that like there is so much to do. You're never going to be without an activity to partake in. Sure. And if you want to like be a completionist about it, there's always going to be something you can find. No, like th- these games definitely deliver in terms of quantity of content. Like there there is a ton of production value and game in both of these. Um, I think that I, I maybe struggle more in finding finding the joy and actually playing this game because to me that's what it all starts from is like does this game feel good to play Mm -hmm. and like i don't care how much content is in here if i'm not really enjoying the act of playing it and that's kind of where i fall in here and i understand that you're you're also being put into an unenviable position similar to when we talked about mass effect 3 which is like you are being dropped into with with Assassin's Creed 3 in particular you're being dropped into the third part of a trilogy which has like 
frankly, way too much lore going on. It's like the right. culmination of like four, five games of uh, content coming up with lots of like really confusing mythology. And, and uh, I, you're just being asked to kind of drop into and it. And I want to get into that in a little bit. But like, I mean, cue Jerry Seinfeld voice. But like, what is the deal with the Assassin's Creed mythology? Why are you in an animus? Can't you just like <laughs> be in the time? Like, honestly, you know, we all through our lives being creatures of emotion develop strange sort of grudges against things. And that has been my case with Assassin's Creed because I always felt like it was sort of not really a franchise. You know, it, it's there's been a ton of Assassin's Creed games, but it's in the scope of most video game franchise isn't super old. Like No, no, it's only like the first game came out 15 years ago. Right. Um, whereas you think of most video game franchises just, you know, dating back farther. Um, I just kind of felt like it was foisted upon us by Ubisoft of like, this is the next big franchise um, without really feeling like even before the first game came out. You know what I mean? Like there was yeah. a sense of like, this game is going to change everything. And then I played the first game for about 20 minutes and was like, I hate this. Um, and so, Which, like, not... That was kind of my reaction to the first Assassin's Creed as well. It really didn't gel for me until part two. Right. But, like... But I... And I get where you're coming from. Like, but regardless, like, even though a lot of it was the Ubisoft marketing machine that was going into this, these games are ridiculously popular. Yes. Like, these are... Yes. Hu- this is a huge selling franchise. This is Ubisoft's number one franchise, and they are one of the biggest game companies in the world. I think it's something like 200 million copies of this series have been sold. And it, and so it is one of the 20 best-selling video game franchises. It's like, that's, totally that's not wild. Nothing. No, it's totally not nothing, and it's totally wild how consistently... Ubisoft can come out with these games that are just giant games. Like these don't come out yearly, but they come out pretty close to yearly. They they were like, yearly for a while. Yeah, yeah, they definitely were. And it's just yeah. crazy if when we think about yearly franchises, you kind of just think about sports. Yeah, um, yeah. But like where they take the same game engine um, and just kind of change player names and some basic mechanics here, like a lot of these games take place in entirely different worlds. And like huge, huge worlds. Um, So it is, you know, really Ubisoft puts puts the muscle behind these games. And I mean, I really like the premise behind a lot of these games to sort of have this line throughout history, this sort of story that builds throughout time Mm -hmm. and allows you to sort of experience different um, historical ages. I think it's really cool. It's just kind of also tied with a bunch of stuff that i don't know just and again like you said i'm being dropped in on the third one but just feels inexplicable to me yeah and i mean even if you had played the other games like there is a bit of inexplicableness to it like i i think you're you're kind of coming into an interesting place here for me at least i feel like we're we're going to be playing what i consider to be the low light and one of the highlights of the series like like, I think three for me is the worst one that I played. The only other games in the series I haven't played were um, Rogue and Unity, which were like, weirdly, they were they were both released in 2014. And I think like they're telling the same story from different perspectives and on different consoles, if Oof. I remember that correctly. And that one's supposed to be just kind of a buggy mess. And I never I never messed with it. And then they kind of bounced back after that. But 
yeah, for me, like Assassin's Creed Three was always kind of the low light, just because I felt like it it stripped away a lot of what I liked. It dumped it like doubled down on the things I didn't like, and it just kind of made it extra confusing. Okay, but well, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about this series yeah. uh, as a whole. So it, back in 2003, Ubisoft released a game that I think you and I both consider uh, a masterpiece called uh, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Yep. Great game. Uh, Wonderful. One of, the, one of the best games ever. Yep. Um, and that game was a big hit, but the de- and the developers set about to develop sequels and spinoffs to capitalize on this revived franchise. And one of the early pitches for this game was going to use time-shifting mechanics to transfer them into an open-world environment. So basically, in this version... The prince would need to fight secret societies and political rivals and earn his way back to the throne. And so while the team was researching different secret societies of this era, they became immersed in stories of like assassins, particularly there's an Islamic sect called Hashashin. Uh, yeah, well, I think that's right, because okay. uh, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but it sounds kind of like assassin, uh, which over time would be known as the Order of Assassins. And they also drew on some uh, historical records and a Slovenian novel from 1938 called Alamut. Uh, and they developed a story for what was originally going to be called Prince of Persia Assassin. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't it, – I somehow never put those pieces together even though it makes total I never did sense either. Yeah, yeah. This, these games being the outgrowth from Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. Because one of that – that game is you know really influential in its own way. Like that was sort of the first game that put like – parkour and climbing mechanics as a major thing and that was back on you know the ps2 era and that sort of became a focal point of like the uncharted series was just like all right we're just gonna pull this from prince of persia like sort of invite i guess i would describe it as like environmental platforming puzzles yeah, whereas like most most platforming games, if you think Mario 64 or something like that, you have very clearly delineated platforms. You can jump vertically and you can kind of ascend. Right, like, you, yeah. It's more of a question of like precision of like, all right, I just have to accurately time my jump here. Whereas in Prince of Persia, it's like, I see this thing that's far away. How can I sort of, um, what rooftops and ledges can I climb up to get there? So it's more of a question of planning a route versus like, timing and skill and the acrobatics of it just always felt very satisfying you know it's like anybody who's ever been a kid has always tried to like run on a slightly (laughs) slanted wall or something like that just to see how far you could go and uh, that game really kind of lets you run with it um so yeah prince of persia assassin uh the the unique idea for this franchise was that the player character was not actually going to be the prince but rather you are a hired bodyguard tasked with protecting the prince so basically it was going to be an epic length open world escort mission. Okay. Which sounds like a pain in the ass, frankly. I, I, I'm glad that they draw, like, the Prince of Persia franchise has gone in sort of some weird direction and had sort of crummy false starts and hasn't really yeah. been able to figure out what it is at this point. But I'm glad that it didn't, these Assassin's Creed games didn't just become all Prince of Persia. Yeah. like, it's really allowed them to spread out in a lot of neat ways. Yeah, and I think that's Ubisoft agreed with that too. They're like, you know what? I I'm not crazy about this idea of a Prince of Persia game where you don't get to play as the Prince of right. Persia. So, but I kind of like this idea of the assassins. Let's see if we can expand on that and see if we can come up with something original. Uh, so they started developing a new title, a new idea under the title Assassin's Creed. Uh, so the first game was set in the Middle East in the 12th century, but the developers decided early on that they wanted each game in the series to visit different time periods with different characters. 
And so they came up with this very odd workaround to kind of explain this in game. So, and that that's the animus. All right, this is, I'm going to try and explain the animus as best I can, because this is a confusing concept, but it's also kind of core to this series. Sure. Basically, a, a portion of these games is going to take place in modern day. Uh, where you are in these first games, you're playing as a guy named Desmond Miles, who has been kind of recruited, kind of stolen by this company called Abstergo. And they are basically strapping you into this machine that's kind of a virtual reality machine that can access memories from throughout your genetic line. Okay. So Desmond is kind of the final product of a long line of assassins. And throughout the series, all of these characters are supposed to be related to Desmond in some way or another. Uh, which is like it's simultaneously kind of an interesting idea, but also wildly overcomplicating things because you could have just said Assassin's Creed one that's set in the Middle East, Assassin's Creed two that's set in Rome, Assassin's Creed three well, that's set in the United States. Like we wouldn't have questioned it because that's how the game is sold. That's how that's the appeal of the well, game. And the premi- they essentially established that at the beginning of Assassin's Creed three. They're like throughout the ages, there's been like this under you know secret society war with this group called the templars and it's like our job to fight them or whatever right um and they could just say that at the beginning of each game and you wouldn't need some explanation of like looking back um yeah i i i always found it like you know, because these these meta narrative sections have like continued throughout the series. They've definitely diminished. There's been fewer and fewer entries, and like they take up less and less of your time. Well, they're but really it is boring always because boring. you just kind yeah. of it's that it's this. I don't know. This is one of my least favorite things in new game design, where and like the God of War does this, where like at the start of the game you just kind of walk and follow a person. Yeah, I really don't like this sort of like. The, the Aaron's the Aaron Sorkin mechanic of someone just <laughs> walks and you have to keep pace with them and they tell you about the story like either just explain it in a cutscene or like ha- have it in text that I can explore if I want don't like artificially sort of make me go at the same pace as someone else um I also really have trouble with this animus presence like because especially in Assassin's Creed 4, you're essentially recruited by a video game company to be like a tester of these memories. And it's like, okay, you're putting another layer of sort of unreality on this game. And to me, like these games already feel like there's so many sort of menus and like information in the HUD that they already feel very sort of gamey. Yeah. Like they don't more than immersive. And like, when you add in that other element, it really does feel just like transparent about the fact that this is just a checklist of chores for you to do as opposed to like challenges that emerge naturally from the story. Yeah. And I mean, we'll we'll get into that decision in Assassin's Creed 4 a little bit more, but sure. that that is kind of their way of uh, it was it's sort of a hard reset for the series because okay. I think I think everyone involved acknowledged that like. The Desmond storyline, which does conclude with Assassin's Creed 3, like they kind of start over with new characters, but it, it it's become like wildly overcomplicated. It's taking up too much real estate in these games, and it's just like not as involving as the historical era stuff. Does your do they ever reveal in Assassin's Creed 4 who your character is? Because when they pull out to like the sort of 
quote unquote present day, it's on, the game is in first person mode. Is that they like do eventually? I forget who you are, but yeah, okay, I think so they it's do not eventually. like some sort of reveal that like, oh, I'm this character that I had met at some previous time. No, I don't believe so. I, I forget the exact uh, nature of that reveal, but I think they do reveal it by the end of the game. Okay. Um, and then that plays into the next couple of games in the series. Sure. Uh, but, you know, the first Assassin's Creed debuted on PS3 and 360 in 2007. Reviews were a bit mixed at the time. I think uh, uh, critics loved the ideas and they loved the parkour mechanics and the climbing mechanics, which they really expand on that idea from Prince of Persia because Prince of Persia, they were pretty designated spaces where you could run along walls where you could like jump over things and assassin's creed lets you climb most anything like if you can see a ledge you can probably grab it uh and that's that's a pretty fun mechanic and i think people really got into that and the free running felt pretty good right the free running is i mean i was just looking it up like this came out the same year as uncharted which Mm -hmm. are like two big time climbing games and they um uncharted is kind of more of that prince of persia thing it's like there's very set ledges and a path you have to follow here like when you hold r to free run like you'll just kind of grab onto whatever you run into and you can't it's pretty hard to fall to your death in this game yeah yeah for sure for sure and i mean the the controls in the first game were really rough to kind of wrap Mm, your head around okay basically you had like whole new like you had whole new menus depending on which trigger you were holding and like it got really complicated kind of felt like you were working a marionette a lot of the time and it just didn't really it didn't really feel very good and i thought the the original protagonist was a guy named altair who i thought was really dull you know you don't really get any kind of sense of who he is or what he wants um but with assassin but i mean the game was a big hit it sold eight million copies and it vastly outperformed ubisoft's expectations and almost immediately it graduated from like this quirky IP to the company's signature series. Right. It became their best-selling franchise. It elevated the entire company. Uh, and since the original release, uh, it's become a nearly annual series. We've had 11 main series entries uh, with a 12th one coming out early next year. And in addition, there have been 13 spin-off games and uh, mobile games as well. Wow. There have been 200 million copies of the series sold. It's the 12th best-selling fran- uh, video game franchise of all time. And there was even a movie. Did you ever watch the movie? No, I didn't. I got very tempted to because randomly, I mean, the podcast we both listened to, Blank Check, came down very in favor of that movie, which... Yeah, which is uh, one of those things I have to say they are crazy about. Like, they are okay. crazy for. Like, it's... Uh, uh, I think that movie is pretty unwatchable. Is it goofy? Is it goofy fun? Or is it just boring and bad? I thought it was just really boring. It's all really brown. And because everybody's head is covered with those hoods the entire time, you can't tell who is who. Yeah, it sounds bad. Like, I know who I know Michael Fassbender is a character in it, but like most of the time you can't tell it's him and you definitely get no sense of any of the supporting characters. And like, you know, being as I find the story in these games pretty annoying, um, I probably shouldn't spend time watching the movies yeah i wouldn't bother i wouldn't bother it was a huge flop at the box office sure. too. it lost a hundred million dollars which is pretty crazy but but the series itself is still going strong assassin's creed valhalla uh is now the best-selling game in ubisoft's history that's wow. the most recent entry because they've been very good about supporting it with a lot of dlc and like post-release stuff so that game's huge, uh, and uh, it means you know this series is going to continue going for probably the foreseeable future. It, it is odd, like for this being such a huge franchise, it does kind of feel like these previous games 
just vanish quickly. And I think that maybe is a symptom of like how often they come out and release. But like yeah. there's not I don't know to me like I would happily go back and play like the Gear, Gears of War three, sure. you know, from from this era or like the Uncharted trilogy. I feel like there becomes less reason to go back and play Assassin's Creed, you know, two and three. Because uh, it, it yeah. just feels like things that have come out later have just kind of done the same thing, but better. I will say Assassin's Creed 2 is, uh, that's the game that like made me kind of turn around on this series. Okay. Like, uh, and a lot of it is just, you, you've got this very charismatic main character. I think the settings are really fun. You get to work with Leonardo da Vinci who devises all these different like gadgets for you, which oh, is really fun. fun. Yep. And there's kind of like a little small trilogy of assassin, like they, they they call it the Ezio trilogy because there's two revelations and Brotherhood are all part of that same story, you know, and they conclude with Brotherhood. Uh, and then before we move on to uh, this first game that we're going to talk about here, which sure. is Assassin's Creed Three. This was released November eighteenth, twenty twelve. That makes this the last of the launch games we're going to be talking about <laughs> all, all the way to the end of yep. the damn show. There were so many launch games. This was developed by Ubisoft Montreal and published by Ubisoft. And it was released on PS3, PS4, 360, Xbox one, switch stadia and windows. So wow. lots of options yep. for you. So yeah, AC two came out in 2008. It was a profound improvement on kind of everything that worked on the first game. And it kind of, you know, solidified that this was going to be uh, a big hit series. Um, and so, you know, they, they stuck with Ezio for three whole games, which is, uh, still not something that they've done in the series. Like they almost never carry over the protagonists into a new game. Okay. Uh, but people really liked Ezio. And, uh, so that kind of left them in a tough position with Assassin's Creed three, because we need to finally like advance the timeline. You know, right. that's something that they promised early on is that we're going to have a different era, different location. And the last three games we've been stuck in like Renaissance era Rome. Right. Um, so, yeah, so there was a lot of speculation about where it'd be. And I think for a lot of nerds, especially around the time when this game was released, like guessing the new setting was kind <laughs> of like <laughs> speculating about what would the next Smash Brothers right. character was going to yeah, be. Exactly. It's like, oh, yeah, where are we going to go? Where are we go? Oh, I really want to go to like industrial era London or something sure. like that, you know? Uh, so, you know, uh, this one uh, was going to be set in uh, America. This is going to be the first one set in North America. This was uh, leaked to the press uh, from an internal leak a little bit early, but, uh, you know, it was widely speculated that this was going to happen. Um, so uh, I, I, yeah. like, I like this choice. Like, I think this is a yeah. really cool, interesting setting that we, like, hardly ever get to see in games is, like, early colonial Amer America. Yeah, like, and, and I, I can't also, think of any other game aside from maybe like the Oregon Trail that has has right. this as kind of a major setting. And this is pre pre Revolutionary War, right? Yeah, I think this is yeah. uh, uh, pre and then during. Like okay, uh, sure. the, by the end of this game, you are actively participating in the Revolutionary War. Uh, and this is also one of the few games to have a Native American protagonist uh, with Ratatonka, aka Connor. Uh, okay. He is a, uh, a Native Mohawk warrior, um, which is a cool idea. Uh, and, uh, you know, some, there was, there's, I, I think one of the coolest things that this series does, and I, I think Ubisoft deserves a lot of praise for going to this much effort is that they put a lot of historical research into it. They really yeah. want to get period details as accurate as they can. And they also cast, uh, appropriately for the roles and for okay. the air. Like, so, you know, this is not a, a white guy doing a native American voice. This is an actual like Mohawk actor, 
you know, and they've kept they've kept that going like throughout the series. Like, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey has lots of like native Greek actors and things like that. So that is, that is cool. Yeah, I was really impressed. Like just as you're sort of going through the game occasionally, like you'll get a little pop up window on the top that says like open your open your uh, journal here and it will tell you about, you know, this character that you've just met. And they give you like a couple paragraphs about this character and like their role in, you know, the, this time period. Yeah, you're like, interacting with a lot of real figures from throughout history. Obviously, they've been altered and sure. changed to fit the needs of the story, but you are interacting with some real people. Um, Ubisoft pushed this game with the biggest marketing uh, promotion they'd ever rolled out, uh, arguably more expensive than the game. This also had the longest development period of any game because it was being developed simultaneously with the Ezio trilogy. I see. Um, so reviews were strong on this one, but uh, this has retroactively been kind of reevaluated as one of the weaker entries in the series. I think the most common complaint about this is that the main character is just he's he's pretty bland compared especially to Ezio, who okay. we just spent three games with. And, and this you, is a guy who just doesn't really seem to have a lot of agency, you know, uh, other than being sulky. And you, you say the main character, meaning Connor, right? Connor, yes. But, and we do need to clarify that because yeah. it's uh, – it's, it's, uh, did you even get to meet Connor in your No, I did yeah. not. I, I played this game – I think game it takes like three hours to get to Connor. probably two hours and then decided I had had enough. Um, and you do not play as Connor at the start of this game. Who I already forgot the name of the character that you play Hatham as. Kenway. Okay. Hatham Kenway is your guy. He's a, a British officer who you start in London. He assassinates somebody in the Royal Opera House and then has to flee across the ocean to the colonies, uh, where he falls in love with a Mohawk woman and, uh, becomes the father of the eventual main character. Of I the see. Series. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the, the way that this game starts is really slow like this game takes a long time to get going and it has some cool set pieces like right at the beginning like i liked where you're sort of back to the future too um over over the state this opera stage to get to the other side yeah um like that was cool um but then it just sort of falls into like this weird tedious section on a boat where yeah. you're you're crossing over to the united states and it's just like all right, go out of your cabin and get into a fight with these crew members so we can teach you the fighting mechanics. And right. then, oh, there's a big storm. Run over here and press A to secure the rope and then run to the other side and press A to secure the rope. And this is a very, I don't know, this is a relatively common piece of game design that I think hit its peak in Red Dead Redemption 2, um, which is, you know, obviously there's a lot of huge games that use this aspect of game design where it's just kind of go to this area and press A to, like, accomplish some kind of task. Yeah. Like, it's not – there's no sort of gameplay mechanic here. There's not, There's no system that you're exploring. It just kind of feels like the entire game is padding. It you know does, what I mean? Like, like – this – you know, we've, we've complained about games that have, like, slow starts in the past, like right. Twilight Princess, things like that. But I think this is kind of – this is an example of one of the more like devastating uh, uh, pacing issues right. in like a triple A game because, like you said, it, it takes I think it is a good three or four hours before you finally get to take control of Connor, you know, and uh, so that means like you're you're getting a whole lot of game with a character that doesn't really matter, and it's you're about, getting invested in him, yeah, and it's about an hour and a half 
or at least an hour before you get into what I would call any kind of gameplay. Like yeah. your first sort of mission, once you get to the new world, is finally like, okay, break into this fort and steal back this treasure. And so at that point, you're actually sort of able to do combat, but it's a long time to even get there. And like this game is an open world game, but like the world at this point, the world does not open up for you in any way. Like it's definitely just go from, you know, place to place and complete this very linear mission. No, it takes a long time. It takes a long time, you know, and and then when we finally do get to Connor, like he's a less interesting character than Haytham, like Mm. kind of like. And uh, I don't know. I, I, okay, I'll, I'll spoil the twist for you. I'm pretty yeah, sure you're not fine. going to be playing. But yeah. at the end of Haytham's section, we reveal that he's actually been a Templar this entire time. Okay, like okay, he's, got it. He's working with the uh, the opposition, you know. And so a part of the reason Connor is so uh, angry and joins the assassins is because his father was a Templar. Yeah, I mean that's that's how it works. You try to raise your kid right, and then they uh, they join, they become an assassin just uh. just to rebel. You, you raise them to take the creed. You let them know that, you know, everything is, what is it? It's everything is permitted. Nothing is off limits, something like that. I'll yeah. take your word on it. Yeah, that's the creed. It's something like that. Um, but, you know, so I think that pacing issue is a real problem, and it kind of leaves Connor at a deficit, like, from the moment you meet him. Okay. Uh, I think the second problem here is the setting. Like, I think it is very cool that we are in uh, uh, Revolutionary War times in America. Right. The problem is, I think, with the first couple of games, we've gotten used to this idea of running around these very populated cities, of climbing to these ridiculously high towers and jumping off them, doing things like that. Here we're getting a whole lot of empty wilderness. You right. know, we have some hubs. You get to visit New York, you get to visit Boston, you know, but those which, are which still... Which makes sense. I mean, these are yeah. all young, new cities. Like, they, they haven't had, you know thousands of years to build giant churches and whatever of course. yeah no um, it, it, it totally makes sense but you do miss some of that like free running and some of the uh the scaling and the climbing and the the hiding in crowds things like that right instead there's a heavier emphasis on things like hunting uh on horseback riding on climbing trees which i don't know am i crazy like i feel like climbing trees has never been a satisfying mechanic in games for whatever reason that's something that just has never quite clicked yeah, I think you're right. I don't. Th- I'm trying to think back of all all the games that involve some kind of tree climbing, and yeah, I, you're you're totally right. There's either I don't you really either, know how to explain it. It's just like it, it just platform, never felt right. You either platform from like branch to branch, which is okay, but it just feels like standard platform. Or you just press up on the D pad, and your character climbs it. But neither yeah. way is that satisfying. The only the best the best tree climbing was in Mario 64, where you oh, could yeah. do the handstand at the top and like somersault mm-hmm. off. That Have you ever done that cool. in real life? Yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty easy. Like yeah. most people do it. Like <laughs> I get a coin almost every time I try that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, again, there's there's a, a huge diversity of things that you can do in this game. Like you're never really gonna get bored. Like just kind of running but, okay, around. Okay. So and participating. I'm gonna have to just kind of quiz you on some of this stuff because okay. like I didn't get far enough in the game to really open it up to what the game actually is. You say that there's a huge diversity of stuff, and, like, I don't doubt that, like, there's lots and lots of missions, but, like, aren't aren't they all just, like, go to this place and kill this person? Go to this place and get this treasure? Like... Those, mission-wise, yeah, that's a lot of what's going on, but there are a lot of, like, metagames going on in here, too. Like, uh, eventually you set up a base of operations at this homestead 
which you can kind of develop and run it kind of like a management sim. Like okay. you can uh, you can recruit townspeople to come in and work as carpenters or vendors. You can hire new assassins to go out and take care of missions for you, which will help you develop more resources. Uh, you can, yeah, like I said, there's a big hunting and uh, fishing and crafting component here. Uh, so sometimes you'll just need to go out and like look for uh, resources and meat and wood and everything like that. Uh, sure. So and th- and then there are like lots of little touches, like we said, like the little um, old timey dice games or sure. hunting around for uh, different animus fragments or looking for treasure. You know, so there's always something to do. There's lots of little icons on your mini map that'll you know, if you're like me, you're just like ooh shiny thing, ooh shiny sure. thing, ooh shiny thing. You'll just be the... kind of running from thing to thing. Does the animus or sort of the present day like there was? I was just messing around in the menu, and there's the option to like exit out of the animus. Where you just go and you you're like running around in this cave as your you know human character, yeah, or present day character. Does that factor into the gameplay at all? Like, are there sections where like it kicks you out of the animus and you have to go like solve something in present day? Yes, yeah. Okay. Every once in a while, like every couple of chapters or something, like the game will pull you out and bring you into the animus. Like you said, you can leave it at any time, but there's kind of no real reason to until they ask you to. You know, like. You're going to have missions that you have to complete uh, in the real world, or sometimes you'll need to, like, fend off attacks or things like that. Uh, all of all of the Animus stuff just gets really complicated. Like, all the Desmond stuff, I, I should say. Like, you know, and, and by the time it's over, it's kind of like, you know, it's mild spoiler here, but Desmond dies at the end of this. He sacrifices okay. himself to get this piece of Eden, which is, like, an alien technology. And, like, again, we're bringing aliens into it now. Like, it's... I I appreciate that there's a strong sci-fi through line. I appreciate that they have an original take here, uh, but I find all of that stuff like needlessly complicated. And it, what I really want to do is just be back in time killing people. Right. That's the thing. It's not like the idea of like this long line of assassins has like, and like secret societies has been plumbed that deeply in video games. Like no. to me, like the idea of alien tech is a far less original take than like secret societies during the, you know, colonial America. Yeah. Like there's much fewer games like that. I just, I don't know. That's such an odd sticking point for me. Cause I, it seems sort of so unnecessary and more work for them. And it's uh, Ubisoft really seems to kind of downplay that element in all of their advertising. Like anytime you see an ad for this game, it's showing, you know, the the naval battles or or the the hooded running or right, things like that. That stuff's awesome. Yeah. Okay. But that that's something we should really say. This is the game that introduces naval battles, okay. uh, which is such a strong component that they basically build the entire next game off of that. Like okay, it's such a fun thing to do and such an entertaining thing to do that like the whole next game is nothing but that. So I didn't get to play any naval battles yet. Yeah. Like in in the beginning, I was on a ship, but it was just all took place on there. Um, is that come later? You like it? It ability? comes later. Yeah. Okay. It takes it takes a little bit to get into that, but uh, you know, but everyone kind of remarked at the time that like this feels pretty original. This feels pretty cool. And uh, like, let's bring on more of that. And that's basically what we get. I mean, are you ready to move on to part four? Yeah. I mean, kudos to Ubisoft. Like I really do get the impression that they like listen to criticisms and, you know, work to make the next game better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that next game is called Assassin's Creed 4 Black Flag. It was released October 29th, 2013. Again, developed by the same people released on the same systems. Like I said, reviews and sales for AC3 were strong, but the audience reception was a little bit of a mixed bag. 
But everyone did agree the naval battles kicked ass, and so the developers expanded on that and kind of built the world around it. Um, and this would facilitate breaking from tradition for numbered sequels, and instead of moving the f- timeline forward, we actually went back in time to the golden age of piracy. We're actually playing as the father of Hatham Kenway, who okay. was the, your protagonist for the first part of this game. Uh, and so instead of having one or two big cities as hubs, you now explore the open ocean. You can stop at smaller ports along the way, and you can restock or take on missions in places like uh, Kingston, Nassau, Havana. Uh, basically, you are a pirate of the Caribbean. Yeah, quite literally. Sure, sure. And like, what what's interesting, like, for the complaints of how slow the other game started, like, this one, they you're in a ship battle right when you drop in like like immediately this game starts which i love yeah yeah and and you you're meeting you meet the character who is the assassin mm-hmm. like you are not the assassin at the start of this game you are just like what, what's your name edward edward kenway yeah you're, you're mm-hmm. just like a dude and then you, who decides i need to you know take up a life of piracy to make some cash and then you chase after an assassin after sinking his ship and both want, winding up on a deserted island and like you just steal his clothes. That's my favorite thing about this game. Like I, I actually really love this main character here. He's one of my favorites in the series because he's a rapscallion. He's yeah. actually like he he's as bored with like the overarching conspiracy as the rest of us are at this point. Like he <laughs> he's not really trying to uh I don't think he ever actually formally joins the assassins. I think he is just kind of play acting an assassin this entire game because well, he finds he finds a note in the guy's pocket that's like come here and complete your mission and you'll get paid yeah and so he's just like great i'll just pose as this guy and go get paid but he's like hot tempered and he's lusty and he's like mean and he's he's cunning you know he's got all kinds of like he's got a personality that you right. can like grasp onto uh and that makes it a lot more fun and yeah like i said the pacing is just immediately better you're it starts in media res in a naval battle and then you're on an island where you really get to elegantly learn all the mechanics of the game just by kind of exploring this one little island. Uh, right. it, that, that's the thing that annoys me so much when games take a long time to get started is like they just don't need to. Like here, no. right from the beginning, it's like, all right, you're on a ship, like aim with the right stick to control your cannons and press right trigger to fire. And you're like, great. Like, you know, I don't think you can really die at the beginning or it would be pretty hard to. No, but like no. It, it, you do feel like you're playing the game right from the start and then you have to chase after this guy in this island and like he's not going to get away from you, but yeah. you still feel like you're playing the game and you're like learning how to free run and jump. And then sort of by the time you're actually land in Havana, you're like, yeah, I, I pretty much get it. And yeah. there's no sense of this kind of just downtime of having to slowly follow a character or like run around in this white void that like. Assassin's Creed 3, they, like, teach you how to free run just kind of in the animus. Yeah. And so you're just kind of running through nothing, which looks kind of interesting, but at the same time, you're like, I know I'm not advancing anything here. And it's not immersing you in the world either, right. you know? And and also, like you said, in the, the modern-day narrative, it's also shifted things a lot. So now this game is presupposing that Abstergo is not like this massive evil corporation. They are a massive evil video game company. Sure, sure. Uh, and you uh, you play this all from the first person. This game is kind of pulling like a Wes Craven's New Nightmare where it's presupposing that all the other games up to this point were just games. Yeah. Uh, and now like you're, you know, and of course there are different reveals and we learned that like, you know, the the truth behind all of this and not everything is exactly what it seems, but... 
I like that they stripped this down. Um, it's it's more fun. It's more playable, and it's I think kind of addressing a lot of player complaints that the the whole Desmond storyline just got way too convoluted to the point where we just like kind of stopped caring about it. Sure. And yeah, like I said, from here on out, these modern day sections are going to be coming less and less frequently. Uh, okay. I think by the time we get into the modern trilogy, which is like uh, Origins, Odyssey, Valhalla. Uh, they've really refined it to the point where, like, you barely ever step out of that. You know, it's it's still an element; it's still there, but it's like super unintrusive. Um, which I think is a good choice. Yeah, totally. Because yeah, here it's shifted into first person, but it's essentially like walk around in this like new style tech company office where like goateed uh, manager tells you that you're doing a great job and yeah. to come like. Uh, he needs to touch base with you soon. And you're just like, oh, my God, why am I doing this? Also, I really it's really nice to see that this is an Ubisoft game that actually takes place in Montreal where oh, they're not true. like they're not like trying to pretend a lot of games that are made in Montreal are trying to pretend that they're in America for some reason. Uh, you know, so you just have characters with sort of inexplicable French lilts to their <laughs> accents. Uh, I think Heavy Rain is kind of the starkest example of that. That's not an Ubisoft game, but it was a, a, a Montreal developed game. That's supposed to take place in like the gritty streets of Philadelphia, but everybody kind of speaks French. Okay, yeah, that's funny. And <laughs> it here, kind of like, takes you out of it. Yeah, characters do jump in back and forth between French and English, but it like does make sense. Yeah, yeah, you're actually in Quebec, and it actually makes sense for you it's to do that. It's weird to think of Montreal as like a hub of game development. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it super is. Yeah, yeah. I've never been. I kind of always wanted to go. It seems like a cool city. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, so like I said, the the one of the big pushes with this game is just naval combat and just naval exploration. So a lot of your time is going to be spent on your ship, which is called the Jackdaw, uh, and you're going to be sailing around exploring little islands, going to different hubs. Uh, you get engaging in combat with other with like British officers or other pirates. Uh, you can always like recruit crew members. You can there's a uh, mini game where you can sort of promote your team members uh, oh, cool. to like you can you can find somebody if you like them you can make them your first mate you can make them your bosun whatever. Very cool. Uh, send them out on their own missions to again harvest resources. There's also some really fun sections where you need to take on like coastal forts like these really uh, fortified areas like that are controlled I think by the Spaniards, and uh, these are the kind of like longer more involved battles where you really need to think about where you're firing your cannons and try to hit the sweet spots uh, and once you weaken it enough then you can go on board uh, or you can go on to shore and try and overtake the rest of the fort i was uh, i was very curious like how naval battles would play because i knew that was a focal point of this game and it was something i was always kind of curious about because you're um, a ship boy yeah i am a ship yeah, boy you're, I, you're a, a naval head you're uh, yeah yeah exactly a, a, a maritime marty Marit uh, <laughs> Maritime Marty. I like that one. <laughs> uh, but like sailing is a really difficult thing to get right in games because yeah. like it's, you know, games are fa fast and like things change quickly. And like for the most part on a sailboat, like things don't happen that fast. No. And so like I think they're fairly generous with the sailing mechanics, like even more so in Wind Waker like than in Wind Waker. You can kind of like sail whatever direction you want and like it doesn't really seem like the wind matters and you, yeah. can, you can kind of just be like you just press a button to like let down more sails and then you go faster. Um, and I, I I appreciate that. Like, you know, it, yeah. it, like like we've seen like with uh, Wind Waker, it, it's not the most fun thing to wait for the wind to blow no. your way, which it, is why it, the HD remake kind of nicks that element. And what I what I think it does really well is 
is you really do get a sense of like the scale of your ship because like your steering wheel is always like far to the stern so you're like looking out over your whole ship and you like you're really getting a sense of like this thing is like a beast to move yeah and like waves are coming up over the side so like all those naval battles do have a really satisfying cinematic feel even if there's not much depth aside from like aim your cannons and shoot and i love that in place of like the gta style radio you've got a bunch of sailors singing sea shanties yeah and you can cycle through them like with your d-pad <laughs> if you want to hear a different sea shanty and you can collect more sea shanties like by exploring different islands and finding like pieces of sheet music like oh that's very fun that's that's pretty fun that i enjoy awesome. that yeah uh, the, the negative thing I have to say about this though, is that, uh, and we didn't really comment on oh, it yeah. with the Assassin's Creed three, but this game looks like shit on the Wii U. Like yeah, it was weird. Assassin's it Creed looks three really bad. looked okay to me. And like, yeah. this game looks worse than that one. And I don't really understand why, but the textures are way off. The whole thing looks very grainy and like out of focus. And I, I was struggling with the frame rate. I was struggling with the controls, like I, I was just wrestling with this game in a way that I didn't when I played it originally on the PS3. Like, yeah. I, I have distinct memories of playing that game. Like, I think I played this. This is one of the few I played twice. I played okay. on PS3 and PS4. And uh, it's it's a much nicer looking, uh, more fluid, entertaining game on both of those consoles. And here it is just really struggling to keep up. Well, yeah, which is which is very odd. Like, the frame rate wasn't fantastic in Assassin's Creed 3, but I didn't. The game didn't look jaggy to me. Like, no. it didn't look poorly resed. Whereas here in Assassin's Creed 4, you're like, did they forget to put, like, a final layer of rendering on this? Yeah, um, just something went wrong in the transition, you know? And I can I can definitively say, like, yeah, this this looks worse than the other versions, and it plays worse than the other versions. So, like, I this is a, a case where, like, yeah, I, I recommend checking out this game. Like, I think this might be, in a, for you, like, I think this might be an Assassin's Creed game you can kind of get on board yeah. with. Because I feel like you would enjoy the story more you would enjoy the mechanics of the sailing around and like causing trouble and even whaling you can whale in this game which sure. uh peter was not excited about which you know can't blame him but uh you know but it has all those mechanics in place uh and i i just think this is not the way to play it okay i do i did appreciate in both these games like the gamepad just when you're playing a cutscene, the cutscene will also show on the gamepad but most of the time it's just a map and Which like, is kind of all we need yeah. for most of these Wii U games. And again, now that we're at the end of the show, it is like kind of shocking how few games actually do this. Yeah. Like, it's really all we need. And yeah, and, it, and it's really nice. Like, it's 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 pretty easy. Like, the Wii U gamepad is big enough that it's pretty easy to look down and see your map and figure out where you need to go and look back up at the screen. Yeah. And for like as many sort of icons as there are on the maps in these games, like, um that's that's pretty satisfying and, absolutely yeah it's a shame that like the graphics and sort of frame rate and controls are a step down because otherwise like that map would be something to recommend this version yeah I, I do i don't know like i just kind of struggle with a lot of aspects of how this game plays and this is true for both of them but like there's like I don't quite understand like the stealth mechanics. A lot of them are like, all right, tail, tail these enemies a certain distance, but don't get too close, which mm -hmm. that's I'm next to escort missions. I mean, that's essentially like a reverse escort mission. Yeah. Kinda, like, yeah. Those are really like the worst kind of missions, the tail someone, but don't get too close. 
Anytime I, I, it always stresses me out because like if they go out of sight for a second, usually you get like a timer. Yeah. You know, and that always just stresses me out. Yeah. Any mission where like having to walk at a slow pace is like necessary, not not thumbs down. Yeah. Um I, I just also have trouble with like the free running mechanic. Like I like it it looks really cool and you feel like your character's a badass just being able to run and like climb over stuff by holding R. But the fact that R is also just your run button yeah, means that, like, I would just be trying to chase after someone and I would constantly be, like, climbing up walls and, oh. instead of just, like, running on the ground. That is something they've kind of corrected in the newer... So, like, there, there is, like I said, there's kind of a newer trilogy of Assassin's Creed sure. games, starting with Origins, where they sort of reinvent the series and, and redefine a lot of these mechanics uh, to, you know, I, I think the, those new three, those three new games are pretty excellent. Uh, and these early ones definitely struggle with that. That is always something that happens, especially when you're chasing people. Cause it's like, oh shit, now I'm up on a, like a fruit cart, you know, and the guy got away. Sure. You know? Exactly. It, and I do feel like, you know, for the criticism that you made of like the original Assassin's Creed feeling like the, the controls were like just way too complicated in some ways, like the combat here almost feels oversimplified. Yeah. Like you just kind of get like inundated with a ton of enemies, but like. If you just hold A, you'll just essentially block everything. Um, yeah, it's sort of a less sophisticated version of like what Arkham City does. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But like Arkham City feels like it's a little more skill based, and like the the attacks and like hits Batman puts on feel much chunkier. Yeah, here like enemies just feel pretty ragdolly. And, and you're going to see a lot of recycled moves where Batman games, like, you feel like you're always... It, it's kind of astonishing how many moves Batman has. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know, like, at its core, like, th this these Assassin's Creed games to me represent, like, one type of open world game, whereas something like Breath of the Wild or Elden Ring represents a different type of open world game. Because mm -hmm. I never really get the impression, at least for me, because, like, I just naturally go to the next story mission. If a game says, go here and meet this character, that's where I go. I feel bad, like, wasting my time dicking around, like, doing side missions. Because I'm like, well, the game <laughs> okay. wants me to go here. Like, I need to go here. Um, and so with that said, like, I never really get the sense that, like, these games encourage exploration or discovery. Yeah, I mean, I it, I don't know. I I tend to be in the dick around camp. Like sure. I tend to put off doing story missions until I've kind of like thoroughly explored an area for a little bit. You know, like that's that's just more my way to approach it. But there is something a little handholdy about these games when you when you compare it to like Elden Ring or something like that. Like right. it, it does it does clearly have a place it wants you to go, and there are barriers to your progress that like you can't. That, that you need like to hit those story beats if you're going to progress. So there is a, that degree. Like, I, I think it's, it's a little bit open-ended uh, if you really want to like search out for every treasure chest or things like that. But uh, yeah, no, I, I could see where you're coming from though. Yeah. I, I don't know. And so I guess that's really more of a criticism of a way I play this style of game, because if I just want to jump from mission to mission, then the actual act of like walking between missions feels like just busy work. Yeah, because if uh, I'm just like I want to go to the next stage, 
like, then I should just be able to hit a menu and go to the next stage, a.k.a. why I like Metal Gear Solid Five so much. Yeah, um, exactly. that's literally what you could do. You just, like, call helicopter, go to next stage. Exactly. Um, here they just put a new um, a new icon on your mini-map. Yeah, and you just um, have to go run to it. I do have one little tidbit I want to throw out here yeah. because I, I found this in my research and I thought, like, a, this is a, a good describer of how seriously Ubisoft takes like the historical research for this series, and also this is an insane thing for them to have done. <laughs> um, so you know, there there are a bunch of once again there are a bunch of real life historical uh, figures, lots of like famous pirates like Blackbeard, Anne Bonny, Mary Read, Charles Vane, guys like that. Uh, but one pirate that they were researching was a Spanish uh, corsair named Amaro Pargo, uh, who was around in the 1700s, and. Ubisoft really wanted to get a sense of what this guy looked like so they could have an accurate model. So they financed having his skeleton exhumed from an <laughs> old church in Spain. Uh, and uh, so they so they could have a team of uh, programmers like scan the skeleton and do like a reconstruction wow. on what he would look like. And this is mostly notable because, well, A, it gave historians like a really good sense of what this guy looked like. He's kind of a, a, an over, overlooked historical figure, but he, he was pretty uh, integral for the golden age of piracy, if you're interested in that era. Uh, and B, it's also noteworthy because he did not end up in the final game. Oh my he does gosh. not appear in this game in any form. So they dug up the man's bones and ran him through a scanner and rebuilt his face, and then he didn't even make the final cut. Wow. Like, I, I think it was ultimately a net positive, you know, because the historians got a better sense of who this guy was. But sure. that's crazy to me. Like, well, it also they, gave us content to talk about for this podcast, so another, uh, which, another way it's a net positive. Which is the gift that keeps on giving, of exactly. course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's about all I have on this. Do you have any final thoughts on this series? Um, move on? Well, we can we can go into our rankings here, just because okay. I feel like that that will that kind might of summarize my fi final thoughts. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just go here. Yeah, please. Um, I think this very much falls into like a just doesn't quite click with me. Um, series yeah. of games like I I totally um kind of get the vibe of why this is cool and like I kind I want to like these games more. But like they just feel very kind of chore-y to me. Like they're just so open about the fact that there's a checklist of stuff to do that um, I I don't I feel like I play them out of a sense of responsibility as opposed to engagement with the mechanics. Okay. Um, and the the clumsy start of Assassin's Creed Three made me definitely like it less. Um, I'm putting that at number ninety. Eight, which is right behind Sonic Lost World. Um, and Assassin's Creed 4, I could tell, like, would, would have more stuff that I was going to gel with, but I got frustrated after only a couple missions of trying to, you know, tail and chase after someone and kept getting find, found out. Um, so I'm putting that at uh, number 90, which is right ahead of the Hyrule Warriors game. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, we're we're in a similar place. I think I was a little meaner to Assassin's Creed Three. Like, that's that's a game I've always like kind of disliked. I don't know, even though I've I've played it all the way through. You know, kind of again, it's for whatever reason I, there is sort of a sense of obligation. Like once I've gotten into the series, like I kind of want to see it through. Sure. And I think that has been rewarded over time. Like I think the, there's a kind of rough little patch in the early parts of these games, but. I think the newer entries have gotten like so good and so sophisticated about what they do. 
I'm excited for the next one. It's going to be called Assassin's Creed Mirage, and that's uh, uh, I believe it's going to. I don't know exactly where it's going to take place, but well, yeah, and I will give like big kudos to Ubisoft. It's hard to keep a franchise going. Just what we learned from you know the Ultra sixty four DD is like you put out games at a rapid clip. People start losing interest. They do. And so the fact that like Ubisoft has kept this huge franchise going and sold each one sells more and more copies is really impressive. And the fact that they've managed to kind of fundamentally keep this series what it's always been. They've right. just refined it. Like they haven't resorted to like crazy gimmicks or anything like that. They've they've kept it pretty true to what it's always been. Yeah. Um, Assassin's Creed 4, I like quite a bit more. Wait, where, where, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. sorry. Where, where did you end Assassin's oh, Creed yeah, 3 it, on your list? That is going to end up underneath Smurfs 2 at number 106. Wow. Yes, I'm sorry. It got edged out by the Smurfs. I, I just think this game runs really poorly. Uh, it's It's got this really... This is just where I think this one just kind of personifies the most annoying aspects of this series. Like I can't having played you rated all of this game lower than I did. I thought like yeah. I was like for sure like at number you know near a hundred. I was you were gonna you were gonna be in like the twenties or something. Yeah, but. I mean it's 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 barely less, but it is less. Yeah, I think yeah. I, I've just I just have kind of a distaste for this game. I like Assassin's Creed Four a lot more. Uh, I'm going to lump this uh, at number 87, which is underneath Transformers Dark Rise of the Dark Spark, which is another game that I think we both agreed, like, there's a lot of potential here. This seems like this is a good game on another system. Right. Uh, and I think Assassin's Creed 4 is exactly that. I think it's a very good game on another system. Like, on the Wii U, it's kind of a shit show. Uh, okay. So, but the mechanics so are still there. Yeah. Your, your rating kind of reflects just the bummer of playing this on Wii U with its sort of poor technical performance. On another system, like, this is a game you like a lot more. Absolutely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would definitely recommend Assassin's Creed 4 on, like, PS4. Like, definitely check that one out. Uh, all right. Well, we have some letters. Uh, and again, we, I'm loving all these letters from people. Thank you so much for sending. Uh, like I said, we've, we've recorded our next week's episode already. So, uh, we didn't have any letters on that, but we do still have one more wrap up episode. If you have any final messages to send us, send them our way. We'll put them on that final episode. Uh, this first one starts, Hey, Steve and Woody. Hey. hey. Uh, during the more challenging moments during my time as a medical resident, particularly the early months of the pandemic, I found myself longing for simpler times as I often do when life gets stressful. A big part of my childhood was the Nintendo 64, the first console I ever owned. The relatively few games I owned, most of them must-owned classics, were supplemented by now-near-mythical trips to Blockbuster. One of the <laughs> games I remember renting was Chameleon Twist 2, which is aged like milk but still makes me smile whenever I think about it. <laughs> Good description of that game, yeah. Uh, years later, during a relatively quiet call shift at the hospital, I found myself reminiscing about this game and wondered if the soundtrack was on Spotify. If nothing else, the music in the game is great. Instead of the soundtrack, I found your wonderful podcast. Since that Chameleon Twist episode, I've listened to the entire thing from the first Space Invaders episode to this week's Zombie U episode. You guys have been a source of joy, comfort, and rekindled nostalgia for me for the past few years. You've made me laugh and smile on otherwise hard and humorless days, especially early in the pandemic. Yep. I've so appreciated your deep dives into not only the well-known classics, but also hidden gems, and your rapport and sense of humor is just fantastic. Having spent so many hours with you guys, I practically feel like I know you personally. <laughs> I'm so sad that the podcast is coming to an end, and I really hope that there will be more to come in the future. You guys have too good of a thing going on to call it quits. There's at least a few more relatively ill-fated Nintendo consoles and peripherals you can focus on. Here, I'll get you started with some. Uh, the Virtual Boys, sure. IQ IQ, 
Satella, listen. You guys can take it from there. What is IQ IQ? The IQ player. Remember, that's that weird Chinese handheld that like you can plug uh, N64 games into. There's only like 17 games available for it or something. Like, yeah, it's weird. Wow. Okay, I'm sure we talked about this, but this is it's a yeah, it's a, totally it's, new to me. It's a footnote for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but seriously, if you guys do decide to call it good here, I'll just say this. The podcast is an incredible achievement, a wonderful retrospective that is not only massively entertaining listening uh, and incredibly informative, but above all, a nostalgic, bittersweet trip to childhood, blockbusters and all. Take care and best wishes to both of you on whatever you decide to do. And that is Daniel. Thank, Thank you, you Daniel. Daniel. That's that's so nice of you to say. That's incredibly sweet. And <laughs> it's it's also just really exciting to hear how many, like, doctors and and <laughs> academics and like medical professionals are listening to our goofy little show like people like, with really real talent cool. and intelligence yes yeah us who just know a lot about old video games and... yeah it's really cool like yeah. i think that's that's super awesome you know that so, is super um, awesome i also i also love to hear um people's inroad i feel like so many people have been like there was this weird Nintendo 64 game that I have nostalgia for. And like, I Googled to try and find it and you were the first thing that came up. Hey, and yeah, like, the... I just, I really liked that. Like, all right, we, we got that chameleon twist to SEO covered. <laughs> yeah. We've like, hijacked their web yeah. presence. Yeah. <laughs> all the teeming millions listening to chameleon twist. Uh, yeah. But, but uh, thank you again, Daniel. That's very, very nice of you to say. Um, our next letter says, "Hi guys. Hi. Uh, just wanted to say that in the Zombie U episode, where you were when you were talking about New York, you missed the chance to say, hey, 'Hey, I'm Walking Dead here' in a classic <laughs> New York accent. Sure. Still laugh every time you guys bring out the classic New Yorker phrase. Mentally preparing for the end, not the zombie apocalypse, but the Wii Universe end. And that's from Jan. So Thanks, thank Jan. you, Jan, yeah. and thank you for giving me the excuse to say, 'Hey, I'm Walking Dead here.' Yeah, yeah. I like that. But remember, that game takes place in London." It does, so, yes, yeah, but, you know, it's, uh, Oi, mate, I'm walking dead here. There you go, perfect. There you go, way better. <laughs> just just, just cut that and re-put it, put that in the Zombie U episode and then re-upload it. There it is, yeah, Great, exactly, exactly. Th- th- It'll be the special edition. That's <laughs> yeah. what we should do is you should, we should uh, re-edit and make small changes to all the previous episodes and then put them up behind a paywall. Yeah. And see and I think can, everyone see, would really enjoy that. See who can spot the tiny differences. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, one last letter for this week. It says, hey, Woody and Steve. Congratulations on reaching the end and your massive achievement. Perhaps the weirdest moment of the show for me was one of your listeners writing about the COVID lockdown in China before COVID hit the U.S. Thanks to your show, I felt mentally prepared for the lockdown. Anywho, what was your favorite game of lockdown? And that is from Vince. I think about that a lot. Like I, I still I remember that letter. That a lot. Like, yeah, it, it was like uh, somebody writing in and just saying like, oh, don't worry. It's not going to be that bad. Like we're locking things down. People are really taking comfort and taking care to, to manage this thing. So it shouldn't be a global problem. And then, you know, we know what happened after that. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think about that a lot. And that's crazy that like we got that letter from China. It was really cool. Um, my, uh, my pandemic game, um, was rock band that was i i went through kind of a uh mm, facebook marketplace and sort of scouring ends of the internet to like create a collection of rock band instruments which is kind of i don't know it's kind of a poorly thought out game um to to play when you can't have like groups of people in the same space yeah like once that you know we were sort of out of lockdown i was ready and like i bought you know, a fairly nice electronic drum set and got it set up. And like, that was actually a very satisfying thing to be able to, you know, 
rhythmically pound on the drums um, when I wasn't really able to, you know, get outside and get exercise as much. Yeah, your your rock band rig is amazing. Like, yeah, you've got a really cool setup. Like, you get, yeah, it's really like it's elaborate and well thought out, and like it's it's really fun to play with. Yeah. Have you played like uh, a diversion? But like this uh, this came up on the Polygon list this year. Did you play that game Metal Hellslinger? No. They described it as Doom meets Guitar Hero, and that made me really curious to give it a try. I don't know if you actually get to use the peripherals or not, but it's like a yeah, rhythm action game where you kill zombies to metal music. Okay, I'm going to look it up. That sounds um, kind of fun. Yeah, I, 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 I struggled with um, like Cadence of Hyrule mm. um, just because it was kind of stressful to me to like have to maintain rhythm while playing another game. Um, I, and but... I weirdly I fell into that game pretty easily because I'm always like tapping buttons like that anyway. Sure. Like I, I'll get a rhythm in my head and I'll start like tapping buttons like and I'll press it. You know when I I, I won't press it, but like yeah, this game ask, is asking me to actually press it in time. You know, so it yeah. still kind of threw me off. I think my answer is uh, probably the more typical one, uh, which was Animal Crossing: uh, oh, New sure. Horizons. Like I really. I really threw myself into Animal Crossing and uh, Stardew Valley a lot when the pandemic happened. Just kind of uh, calming, bucolic, chore-based games where you can be a little creative, be a little social, and uh, see some rewards for for putting in your effort. You know, like I think that was something I really needed uh, in those early days when everything felt so unmoored and you know social contact was cut off and like you had no idea when or if it was going to end. You know, so it. It was nice to have that little refuge. It was nice to have a literal little uh, island in the sun to go visit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that is all the letters we have this week. Thank you again, everybody, for writing in and for all these nice letters that we've been getting. Steve, uh, Steve. Yo, yo. Take, take, a, take a deep breath. <gasps> we, we don't have to play any more games on the Wii U. We I mean, don't. We, we, we could choose to. The yeah, now, now the only ones left are the ones we choose to play. Yeah, which as discussed, there's some fun ones on the system. There are. Um, there's 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 a few games I'm excited to go back and play more of. Yeah. Um, but we don't have to do any more. We did it. So That's the catalog it. right so there. Like vir- virtual high five. Virtual <laughs> high five. That was some foley work right there. Yes. Yeah. Very uh, nice. Holy shit! That that's it, it's pretty crazy, you know. Again, like it feels a little anticlimactic because there is still another episode for listeners. But like for us in our recording space, we have finished the catalog now. Yeah, uh, which feels pretty awesome. Feels pretty awesome. I feel like we've we've done two whole video game catalogs, every single game on either one of them. Holy shit! I don't know what I'm gonna do with my time. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but for you, you folks at home listening, uh, something you could do with your time is tune into our episode next week where we're talking about a teeny tiny little forgotten game called <laughs> Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And we have the entire video game apocalypse crew on that show with us. It's a it's a pretty rowdy and fun episode. Yep. Um, and uh, I think a really nice way to cap off the entire series. And then, of course, tune in in two weeks from now where we're going to have our big Wii U wrap-up episode. We're probably going to go indulgently long. We're going to make an aggregated list of our complete rankings in the entire series, and uh, I'll probably run a bunch of other numbers and give a lot of thank yous and stuff like that. And I'm probably going to drink on it, too, so sure. I'll get a little you, sloppy. You, you've earned that right. I think so. I think it, so. Well, looking at this list, I somehow when we played the N64 games, I felt like I had a pretty good mental vision of each game as we went through the list yeah some of these i'm really gonna struggle with 
Yeah, I'm right. gonna. I think I'm gonna be replaying some of them, like at least a little bit, just to uh, you know. You remember did... Avengers: Battle for Earth? Yeah, <laughs> like... I do. Yeah, that very weird, yeah. like tapping-based uh, fighting game. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot of stuff that kind of doesn't exist, but similar with the N64. Like I think there were games like we we went back and replayed Monster Truck Madness '64 to see if it actually was as bad as we thought it was, and uh, spoiler, it was. Yeah, yep. it was very bad. So yeah, I think I'm going to be giving the treatment to uh, to some of these games as well. Excellent. But until then, we will see you all next week for Breath of the Wild, and uh, that will conclude the uh, the catalog for the rest of you. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you then. 